morning, Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, you know, in the Christian life, it's just like, uh, it's a lot of parallels with regular, just physical life, and uh, there are positives and negatives. How many understand there's some negatives to life, right? And, uh, and yet there's, there's some great positives to life. And, uh, and the spiritual life is no different. There are positives and there are negatives. And, and if you have your outline, that's what I'm going to be speaking on today. Negatives in the mature Christian. Negatives in the mature Christian. Now, the title is a little off-giving, so don't, you know, don't put too much stock there. But uh, we're all going to talk about it from Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 17. And we're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter. So Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness work all uncleanness with greediness but ye have not so learned christ if so be that ye have that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in jesus that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which after god is created in righteousness and true holiness Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry, and sin not, and let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have, uh, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now let's pray this morning as we open. Heavenly Father, thank you. For the wonderful day that you've given to us. Thank you so much, Lord, for the word of God. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ and for your mercy and your forgiveness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness and your kindness. We thank you, Lord, that you are slow to anger and you are full of compassion and of great mercy. Father, today we come before you and, Lord, we want to learn from you. We want to hear from you. And so I pray that we would. I pray that you would give us understanding. And God, that you would open our eyes, that we could behold wondrous things out of your law. And I pray, Father, for these that are here, I ask that you'd minister to them and their needs specifically. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have liberty today. Thank you again for the opportunity to be called a child of God. Thank you, Father, for what that means and for where we're going. God, as we continue today, we just pray that you'd help this first day of the week to be a starting point for us for the remainder of the week, that we would live righteously, that we would mature graciously and the god that our life would affect another life this week we pray this in jesus name amen after watching four of the five of our children grow up and mature into adults i can truly say that growing up and watching my children grow up is a wonderful thing though 
it's sad at times. It's still a wonderful thing to watch them to mature into adults. When children grow, both parents and, adjo- and children are pleased. When you think about it, um, when a child gets their first tooth, when they smile for the very first time, it's fun. You see them, oh my goodness, they smiled. Or look, they have a first tooth. And whoever comes over to the house, you make sure that they see that tooth, right? Family or it doesn't matter. When they take their first steps, there this last year Chandler was at our house and he took his very first step and walked and we were just like, whoa, we got to be there. That was really high tide, you know. And then yesterday, even watching him, uh, we were FaceTiming with him and watching him walk around and just stand there. It's just, it's wonderful. It's, it's fun. When kids learn to walk, it's fun for them. They're pleased because there's an accomplishment. Wow, I can do this and pretty soon you're walking around, you don't, you just take it all for granted. So first steps are great. First words are great. Uh, Chandler says, Papa, 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 Papa. And Cammy always says, but what about Mimi? Can't you say Mimi? And then that's the, op- not really the opposite. Georgia says it both. And it's wonderful. Uh, they feel like they're connecting because they're saying Papa or Mimi or whatever, Mama, Dada. Um, and we feel like that they actually do know and love us. And though they have not, you know, they don't understand all what that means, but we feel that connection. So maturing in that way is really fun. It's really uh, a, a pleasing time for everybody. The first time they go to school, the first time they ride a bike. So on and on, and we could go on for the rest of the day talking about, you know, the growth and, and maturation pro- process of children, but it's pleasing to all of them. When they get to ride a bike, they feel accomplishment. They feel like, wow, I can do this. And, and, and they get they get used to it. And then it's on to the next thing. It's on to the next thing. And so the idea is really they never stop growing and neither do we, right? And growing is one of those progress things that we all love. All of this is progress and is wonderful to watch. The Christian life also has such progress. After a person is born again, growth is natural. We've talked about this for weeks. And the progress of true life is wonderful. In, in life, young people grow and mature so that they can take responsibilities. And those responsibilities bring satisfaction. Now, I want to say that again. The responsibilities, when a young person grows into them, and as they take them, those responsibilities bring satisfaction. That's actually a principle of life. Uh, when my second son, Austin, was growing up, I'd take him out into the yard and, and uh, teach him how to do yard work, whether it was picking weeds or cutting grass or, or whatever. And, uh, and like most young kids and teenagers, it's not the funnest thing to do, uh, do yard work, right? Um, and so uh, I'd have to teach him to do it. But we, we'd go out and work for a few hours and we'd get things, you know, you get things back in order. It's like order and then you wait a week or two and then it's out of order and it all needs to be trimmed back. And, and uh, so we'd go out and work for a few hours and get things back into a normal state of uh, being. And then I would normally say something like this. I'd normally say, now there, doesn't that look much better? Now, I would say that, but he would say, dad, am I done? Can I go play now? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and it really didn't matter to him. He never saw the satisfaction in a job well done. He just didn't see that for himself. Then the other day, he called me. They're getting ready by God's grace. They found a, um, they're living in an apartment downtown and it's no air conditioner and it's been a brutal summer. And uh, here in a couple of weeks, they're getting ready to move into an older home that this lady is who lives next to the home uh, said that they could rent and, it, and it's going to be wonderful. It has a backyard and, and it's just wonderful. And she said, I'll even give you some off of your rent if you do the yard work around there and help me with mine. And so, you know, Austin's going to be like, yes. So the other day he calls me and, uh, and he's, he's out, you know, doing yard work or whatever. And uh, he was telling me about it. Dad, there's, there's people haven't touched this for a long time. There's weeds out there as tall as I am. And, you know, you pull them out of the ground or whatever. 
And then I heard some words that I never thought would come out of his mouth. He said, Dad, I was picking weeds and I realized the more that I did, the more I saw needed to be done. So I just kept going until it was all done. And then he said, it actually felt good to get it all done. Do you know why? Because it was his. He got to that point where he could step back and look and say, okay, here's all the overgrown that and now I got involved in it and now it doesn't look bad. And, and, and that, that accomplishment, that responsibility that he took, because by the way, if he doesn't do it, nobody else is going to do it, right? He took the responsibility, and so he got the satisfaction of seeing that accomplished. Accomplishments bring satisfaction. Listen, irresponsibility sounds like freedom, but it ends up in emptiness, okay? And that, don't, don't you understand, that's the that's the maturation process of all of us, right? When we're young and we get a driver's license or when we're, you know, when we become a teenager and we get a little bit more freedom, we want the freedom without the responsibility. And I have told parents for 20 years plus, I've said, listen, your child wants freedom without responsibility and that's dangerous, but you can't have, you can't, you cannot have freedom without responsibility. Because it's it's so dangerous, it, you could lose your life. You you could get a, have a lot of problems. So with freedom comes responsibility. Let's say that together. Ready? With freedom comes responsibility. And so accomplishments bring satisfaction. Irresponsibility sounds like freedom, but it ends in emptiness. Now, in the mature in the maturing process, there are some negatives. Like I said at the very beginning, anytime you assume a level of responsibility. There are other things or some things that you have to sacrifice. So in order for my son or, or really any teenager or anybody that accepts responsibility, if this is my responsibility and I accept it, whatever else needs or is vying for my attention or tries to get me away from my responsibility has to be sacrificed or I can't accept this responsibility. Do you understand? I can't accept the if I don't accept the fact that I have a job and accept the fact that there's work to be done and it's supposed to be done and needs to be done. If I don't accept that, then I'm going to be sidetracked with all these other things that I would rather be doing than this responsibility. Does that make sense? So in order to do that, I've got to say some notice some things. And that's the whole idea with the Christian. It's the same thing with the Christian life. If I accept responsibility to say, I want to grow as a Christian. I want to become more like Christ today. I want to become more like Christ this week. I want to love God more this week than I did last week. Then as I accept that responsibility, I have to look around me and say, I can't say yes to that. I can't say yes to that. I can't say yes to that. Because if I do, then I'm not going to be growing. Does that make sense? And so Paul is very clear here. Anytime you assume a level of responsibility, there are other things that have to be sacrificed. There are things that you and I are going to have to say no to. And Paul writes them right in here in the passage for us. So what are the negatives of Christian maturity? Let's go through these here this morning. Number one, the first negative is that you're not supposed to walk as other Gentiles walk. It's specific. I love, I love when the Bible is so specific that it just says, don't do this. Do this and don't do this. It says in verse, uh, if you look back in, in verse 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not. Don't do this. Walk not as other Gentiles walk 
in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over, notice, unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness and greediness. Now, they're supposed to be, and, and we know this, we know this, I think, in principle or theory, but we've got to put it into practice and we've got to help others understand this. And this is where this is where Christianity has taken a left turn and it needs to get back to the old past. Watch this. There's supposed to be a difference between how the unsaved and the saved live. There's supposed to be a difference. Used to be, back in the day, you could ask an unsaved person what a Christian should and shouldn't do, and they would tell you. Now, because Christianity has decided, oh no, we are living in grace and we can do whatever we want to do, and though the world does that, the Christians don't do it the same way. Listen, if you drink as a lost person and you're a Christian and you drink as a Christian to the unsaved world, there is no difference. Got it? So there, there's all kinds of things. We can say, well, I, I'm, I'm going to get off track here, so I need to just calm down a little bit. So it says here, notice what it says here at the verse 17. It says, not as other what walk? Not as other what? Gentiles. Now, we're not Jews, we are Gentiles, okay? But so to us, when we read this, we go, okay, walk not as other Gentiles. Wait, I'm a Gentile. So how can I not walk like the way I am, right? So let me explain this. Gentiles here refers to any non-Jew. And, and here's why it's written this way. Not just because there are Jews in the church at Ephesus, but because salvation is of the Jews. Now, According to Romans chapters 9 through 11, we've been grafted in and become part of God's blessing in Israel. Not for physical blessing, but part of God's family, right? So as the children of God, I want you to understand this. When he says Gentile, I want you to make this, this, uh, this uh, under, I want you to understand this. And, and here's what it is. A Gentile refers to any non-Jew. That is someone who doesn't have the knowledge of the creator God. They don't worship God. Someone who doesn't have a relationship with him. Remember, God says, these are my people. Not because they were strong, not because there were a lot, but because I chose them. I put my hand of blessing on Israel. Salvation's going to come through them. And I've become, I have become a part of that family. Now, though I'm not a Jew, God says, listen, you're part of my kingdom. You're part of my children. So watch. Someone who doesn't know his law. Someone who doesn't know his favor. So when it says Gentile, he's saying, listen, I want you to see yourself as a part of this Jewish community because you've been circumcised in your heart. I have made you a part of my family. I've grafted you into that natural olive branch, and now you are a part of my family as Israel is. So as salvation comes through Israel and comes to us, God looks back now and says, look, don't walk like you used to walk. And he makes that clear in the further passages. But as you see here, God says, listen, I want you to understand there is a difference. And there is a marked physical difference between a Jew and a non-Jew. Would you agree? And the Bible calls that circumcision. Now, there's an obvious difference between the two. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I think you have it in your, in your Bible. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So he says it in a couple different ways. Let me just say this. Letter A, don't live like you used to live. Don't live like you used to. In your former conversation, he, he speaks later on in the verses. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2. 
And you hath he quickened who were dead, in verse 1, trespasses and sins, wherein time passed. See that? So he's saying, now I'm going to tell you how you used to live. Wherein time passed, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, uh, that spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, who was rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So life before Christ was lived, according to this passage, like the rest of the world lives, right? Used to live like the rest of the world, uh, which is under the influence of who? It says it right there, the prince of the power of the air, Satan, which tells people to live like they want to live and not let anyone tell them otherwise. In other words, in the words of the Bible, according to the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. So he said, look, before you got saved, you just did whatever you want. And you did it instinctly. If this feels good, I do it. If that looks good to eat, I eat it. If that's the place I want to go, I want to go there. And that's the course of this world. Who is leading that train? Satan. He's the one leading that marching band. He is the, uh, he is the uh, what do you call that guy? The, the major. He's the one leading the band and everyone's following to his tune, right? And so he says, look, don't live like the rest of the world or don't live like you used to, which letter B translates into don't live like the world. No. God says, I don't want you to live that way. Why? Because you're not them. And he marks that line, all right? So there are some things, if I accept the responsibility as a Christian to grow, that I can look to the world and go, okay, if I want to really find out what I'm not supposed to do, just look at the world. But I can look to the word of God and say, well, that's what they're doing. That's why they're doing what they're doing. And that's the way I'm not supposed to live. How does the world walk? The Bible says, back in Ephesians chapter 4, if you look um, at the end of verse 17, in the vanity of their mind. Um, you know, when you're unsaved, you do everything for yourself. It's all about you. And that same thing is true sometimes when we're Christians, unfortunately. And God says, don't live that way. In the vanity of their mind. How else do they live? With their understanding that's darkened. Listen, if you're a child of God, you're a child of light, not of darkness. You've been given the truth. I've been given the truth. God says, look, if you have the light... Don't walk in the dark. Why? Because that's what the world does. You don't have to do that. You can live in the light. So they have their understandings darkened. They're blind to the truth of God. And the Bible says they're given to lasciviousness and all uncleanness with greediness. Now, lasciviousness basically is this. I can do anything I want with whomever I want, whenever I want, and how I want. That's lasciviousness. It's giving in to yourself. Greediness, you guys know what that is. That's just for taking. That's gain. Anything prosper, prosperous to me. So God plainly speaks to us about maturity. And it's clear that if we're going to accept the responsibility of growing up in Christ, then there's some things that we must say no to. And the first negative is to not walk like the unsaved. Now, I, 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 I want to challenge you. Take your life and put it out 
explain it or uh, put it out in front of you and then put the world right next to it and go, is there anything in my life that belongs in that category? Because God says that's a negative. That's a no. You have to look at their drive, at, at what, what pushes them, their motives. You have to look at how they go about it. And I don't want you to live that way, that you put off the former conversation, that your mind would be renewed in Christ Jesus. Um, and, and so the first negative is not to walk like the unsaved, if that makes sense. Number two is not to let the sun go down on your wrath. Look at verse 26. He goes on through verse 25 and he explains all of that, that you put off the old man, be renewed in your mind, wherefore putting away. So look at verse 26. Be, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Another negative is that you, you have to control your emotions or they're going to control you. You have to control your emotions, but especially anger. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm 37, 8, Cease from anger and forsake wrath, for not, for, uh, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. So he specifically says it here, and I'm going to be concise in these next few points, but he specifically says it here in a couple of ways. Letter A, never let a day end in anger. Never let a day end in anger. When immature children or teenagers show their anger, it's a good way to get what they want, isn't it? That's, the, that's one of a, a manipulation tool. Or to move others to do something. So when a child is angry, it's because they want their way or they're going to move somebody to do something. They're going to manipulate their friends. They're going to manipulate their parents or their siblings. Um, they throw tantrums unless they get their way. Old, immature people sulk. They just do it in a different way. Older, immature people, they sulk or they sob or they sit in silence. Either way you cut it, God says, yeah, but behind all that is anger. And I don't want the day to go by with anger being controlling to you. God says, don't let the day go by without setting, uh, settling your anger with God and others. And the reason is very blatant, blatant because letter B, it gives place to the devil. Never give place to the devil. Never give place to the devil. Never give the devil a place. If you get to the point where anger is controlling what you say, how you feel, or how you act, you must carry it to the Lord. You've got to give it to him, and you've got to forsake it. Of course, it would be better just to pass it by altogether and just choose the responsible thing to do. Now, look, if there's anybody in here that understands anger, it is me, okay? If there's anybody that understands that it is a nanosecond at times between peace and chaos or anger, it's me, and I understand that, all right? But like everyone else, I have a choice to make in that time frame. I can take that, take that feeling of, man, I don't know exactly why they did that or why they said that or why this is happening to me, and I can process it by the Holy Spirit of God and say, okay, obviously this is uncomfortable to me, but now what am I going to do about it? Because the Bible says the discretion of a man, uh, the discretion of a man deferreth his anger. So it's possible and it's his glory to pass over a transgression. I can say, okay, this doesn't feel very good, but I'm just not going to give myself over to that. Why? Because I don't want to give space to rent for Satan. I, neither give place to the devil. If you look in your passage, it doesn't stop at the end of verse 26. It's a colon because it's saying, look, when you do that, you're just giving the devil a space to put a tent. We were in San Francisco the other day and 
and uh, it, it, and, and it wasn't as bad, at least the areas where we were, that I thought it was going to be. There are there were still some homeless there, but they weren't like you know, it wasn't everywhere. So the places, thankfully, where we were, um, there wasn't a lot of them, but there were a few, and um, and so, you know. You look at them and you go, okay, where 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 are they living? Well, they're living in like doorways. You know, I've seen them before at like full tent, turning full bus stops into their home. Right? They've got their tent. <laughs> There's no place for people to sit at a bus stop because that's where they're living, and it becomes theirs. They've just marked off a spot, right? And to get them out of that is at times can be really hard. Same thing is true when you give Satan a place. The more I give in to that anger, the more I allow that. What's Satan doing? He's just setting up shop. And by the way, he's never content to stop looking for more territory. Once he sets that up, he's not content with like, okay, I just have this one little lane and this is the only thing that, you know, that I'm going to manipulate this individual by. No, no, no. He wants more. He wants another part of the store and another part of the store and another part until he has it all. He's just taking ground for himself and we're giving it away by giving into our emotions. So part of saying no is saying, we saying obviously yes to the spirit, but we say no to the flesh. And part of our flesh that's extremely strong would be our emotions. And when things don't go right, you know, what I, I, I read a book years ago. Um, uh, what is your primary emotion when things go wrong? What's the click? Is it crying? Is it sadness? Is it, uh, you know, skepticism or is it anger? And your primary emotion is what holds you back from growing more than anything. And so it's interesting to me that that's the one that he brings up, right? Um, the first negative is to walk, don't walk like the unsaved. The second is to not let anger control you at any time. Then the third one seems a little odd. Verse 28, uh, let him that stole steal no more. The Bible says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needed. Now, it may seem odd that God would have to say to these people who've come out of darkness into the light, it may seem odd to say these kinds of things. Uh, it's strange to hear God tell us as believers, don't steal. Seems a little odd, doesn't it? Or is it just me? I mean, you read that, you're going, is there more people that have a problem with stealing than I know, Judy? You better watch you. What's in that purse? You know, you, you, you look and you just go out. But the opposite of stealing is to live responsibly. Now, now, just think about that. He's saying, let him, uh, don't steal no more, but rather let him labor. So laboring is something of responsibility. Stealing is irresponsible. It's saying, I don't want to do that, but I still have a need. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my needs satisfied without being responsible. Okay? So stealing. Now, let's just break this down a couple ways. Letter A. Um, part of being responsible is earning a living the right way. Earning a living the right way. Some people don't see it's a big deal to take something from the office that clearly doesn't belong to them. Now, this is kind of a funny story, but when I was in the Air Force, um, they made it a big deal. It, now, don't raise your hands, but if you've ever worked for the government, there's a they normally have a black pin that says, this is the property of the United States government, okay? Do not remove. And, uh, and, and, and I don't think a lot of it is purposeful, but they came in one time and they said, hey, um, one time and one time only, we're going to put a box out here, and this is base-wide. We're going to put a box out here, and everybody that has a pin that's government issue at home, you need to bring it back because we don't want to order pins, and we realize. 
And, and, and a lot of it was, you know, you put, you put your pin in your BDU pocket and you don't realize it's there, right? You, you go home and then you take your BDUs off and you go, ah, and then you put it in a drawer. The next thing you know, you got a whole drawer full, right? You cannot believe how many millions of pins came back. Boxes in every squadron filled because so many people just randomly, they just go in, open a new box, or get it out of their desk and they put it in there or they're giving them away to people or whatever and they just, they, they travel home. And that represents a lot of money. Now, it's not enough to pay off the national debt or whatever, but it is, it, it's a principle, right? Now, that's a, a silly illustration, but there are a lot of people that steal a lot more than just pins from their work, okay? Um, there are some people who are addicted, addicted to taking things that don't belong to them, uh, whether it's from restaurant, whether it's from airline, whether it's from uh, the hotel. I mean, that's like a, a big, big deal. People stealing hand towels and stuff at, at a time. I, I didn't know it, but my, I, I just thinking, okay, you know, salt and pepper shakers. Man, this is real crystal. This is real silver, whatever. I, I don't know. But apparently it was so bad in the first century, God had to mention it. Instead of taking what you think you can get away with, God says, no, 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 no. I want you to work for it because that's an accomplishment that brings satisfaction. If you're going to be responsible, you've got to control yourself. Um, they, people have no problem taking things from their employers, like time. See, we think we have to physically remove something to steal. But when you're on the clock, you're on the clock. You're there to do something responsible, not to be standing around forever and ever and ever. I had this guy come that came to work for us when I was in Las Vegas at Nellis Air Force Base. And it seemed like... I got out right at the right time because the, the new generation of airmen that were coming in, I just couldn't deal with. I just couldn't deal with. And these guys were forever. They worked for a, a little while, and then I'd be like, where did he go? And then he's over talking with somebody out at the water cooler or smoking a cigarette or whatever. I'd be like, dude, you, you have been here for three hours. You've worked for like 30 minutes. What are you doing? You know, We've got work to do. Where there's, there's things that need to be taken care of. And, and, and what is that? Stealing. You're getting paid to do nothing. That's the irresponsible thing. Responsible thing is to work. And God reminds us of that. So part of being responsible is earning a living the right way. Secondly, part of being a mature Christian is being honest in making a living. And he's really getting right at that. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather labor. And another problem that they had here is that they were just wanting to take the handouts from people and say, look, I don't, if they're going to give it to me, why should I work? That's why Paul had to remind them, look, if no one's going to work, then he shouldn't eat. Let him labor. Uh, and he needs to take care of his family. He, if he's not going to do that, he's worse than an infidel. So the idea here is there were la- there's laziness coupled with selfishness. And what's happening? Nothing's getting done in the right way. And God says, listen, as a Christian, you can't live like the world. What do we have today? That personified and really magnified in the last two millennia. Where they don't want to work and they want people to give them handouts. We call it entitlement, right? Uh, For however you want to look at it, I don't think it has anything to do with a race except the human race. We are lazy and we want things and God says, no, 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 no. That is not responsibility. Responsibility is maturity. I want you to work. First Corinthians 4, 12 and labor working with your own hands, being reviled. We bless being persecuted. We suffer it. Labor working with your own hands. 
Second Thessalonians 3 8. Neither did we, Paul saying this is his testimony, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. So it wasn't just that Paul was saying this was to do, he's doing it, right? He didn't have to go. He, as the preacher, he could have gone in and said, hey, you guys need to take care of my needs. And, and, but he didn't want to be chargeable. He was like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm a tip maker. I can make a living wherever I am. I'm going to preach. I'm going to labor because I don't want you to come back and go, man, that guy's a freeloader. I don't want you to look at what I'm trying to do to help you and try to find some reason for schism. I want you to see me work and I want you to understand I'm doing this so that there's no problems here. And by the way, you should do the same thing. That's what he tells them to do. The first negative is not to walk like the unsaved. The second is uh, don't let anger control you at any time. The third is to be honest, don't steal. The fourth says let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Look at verse uh, 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, easily profitable. People could take my words and use them like coins, like money. Matthew twelve thirty seven. Jesus said a remarkable thing, for by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. All right? I heard one preacher say, God's collecting them all, and he's going to reveal them all. And by our words, we will be judged, according to Matthew twelve thirty seven. According to Scripture, part of standing before the Lord is this, that what we say is going to be weighed in the balance of righteousness and responsibility, is, and we're going to give an account and take responsibility for how we use our speech on this planet. And the Bible says uh, that we're supposed to do it for the good, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Now, it's interesting because a couple of weeks ago, we talked about in, in Ephesians chapter 4, that the church, a maturing Christian, builds up another, right? That's the same word here, edifying. So my words are supposed to build you up. They're supposed to encourage you. They're supposed to help you, not hurt you, not tear you down. So we see sometimes communication in our day as a problem, but it's always been a problem. This is nothing new. And God says, I want to warn you. Now what? What's the context? This is what the world does. The world uses words to hammer people, to manipulate people, all right? Or to get a point, their point across, or to make them look better about themselves and to you look worse. So shock value words, you know. And God says, that doesn't help anybody. The Christian is supposed to help. The Christian words are supposed to be to the good and not to the evil. That may minister grace unto the hearers, all right? Now let's think about this. Let's say it a couple of different ways. Letter A Everything we say matters to God. Everything we say matters to God. Let the words of my mouth, the psalmist said in 19 and verse 14, in the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Psalm 1914. So if everything matters to God, let it be everything we say should matter to us. He's, what, what's he giving us? Sandy, God is giving you responsibility in verse 29. Steve, he's giving you responsibility for the words that you say. Nancy, Naomi, God says, here's your responsibility. Whatever comes out of your face, you're responsible for. And I want it to be to good, that it may minister grace to the hearers. All of us are in that same category. Colossians 4 and verse 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. That you, don't you wish that word always wasn't there? 
Let your speech, as much as lieth in you, <laughs> be with grace, seasoned with salt, instead of pepper, by the way, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. It's just interesting, the words that the Holy Spirit puts in there. So now, now just think about the progression. Okay, so he says, don't walk like the unsaved. And if there's one thing that characterizes our day, it's anger, is it not? Look at society. Woo, volatile, all right? Has been for quite a while. Don't let your emotions take, care, uh, take control of you. Uh, be honest. Watch how you speak. Now remember, a mature Christian, these are the negatives. I want to be like Christ. I want to love my family more. I, I want to I love people more. I want to have the compassion of God. I want to be able to minister to people the gospel. Okay, if that's your goal, great. Here's some things that you need to watch for. Here's some things that you need to look at and say, no, I'm not going to say those things that way. One, one of my... One of the hardest things that, uh, not one of the hardest things. Sometimes it can be frustrating for me to hear Christians use curse words. Curse words to cuss. I think most of us in this room, probably most of us, hopefully all of us, um, wouldn't have a problem with that. Now, thankfully, I've never struggled with cussing, never. Even before I was saved, newly saved in the military, I heard it, but I never really struggled with it, okay? I'm not saying I never said a cuss word. I'm just saying I never struggled with it. It was never habitual. And when I hear people cuss, I just think, man, you know there how many adjectives there are in the world that they could get across your point? You know, someone said that cussing is just a revelation of your own ignorance, right? Because, you know... Of your own ignorance you don't know any other word to use so you just use that word over and over and over and over and over and over and over again because you have nothing else you know better to say and i think that's really true um but when we're saved for someone saved to 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 not well not even to struggle not even to think they're struggling with it to me is filthy communication it's corrupt and i think to myself man when are they going to get it lord if the bible says that we're not supposed to live like the unsaved, just listen to how the unsaved talk. And say, okay, delete, delete, delete. Right? My dad used to say to me, I, he would say something, I'd say, why? I want you to go out and pick the weeds. Why? I want you to go to mow the lawn. Why? I want you to go wash the car. Why? I want you to wash up for supper. Why? Do I have to tell you why? To the point where he would say, okay, why no longer exists in your vocabulary you cannot say the word why if you say the word why i'm going to spank you do not say the word why what i want you to say is yes sir if i tell you to do something do not say the word why now you could ask a question like dad why is the tree so green why is the sky blue you can ask those why's if i tell you to do something do not say the word why you need to delete that from your vocabulary and that was a rough one when you get entrenched in that, that's a rough one. Now look, the fact of the matter is there's some Christians who are so entrenched in it from the past that it's hard for them. And I, I get that. And, I, and we need to extend grace and, and loving kindness for that. I get it. The Lord will deal with them, all right, if they're saved. But if I want to mature, I've got to just look to the world and say, that's how they sound. I don't want to sound like that. Why? Because there's a message that I'm supposed to convey and I can't convey the gospel of Jesus Christ while filth is coming out of my mouth. Can't, this doesn't work that way. Let no corrupt communications. It doesn't say let a few or let some. Again, it's like that word always. 
So let's look at the last one here. The last one he says is, look, if there's something you need to avoid, there's a negative here, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. So he goes down, let no, let no, let no, let no. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians six nineteen that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and he is in us. We got him from God, and that makes us not our own, okay? One of the New Testament privileges is living in the presence of God at all times. That means that our body, according to the Bible, is the temple, and his truth alone should, and that truth alone should make us careful about what we do with it. Not with our bodies, with the Spirit. What do I do with the Spirit of God that lives inside of me, and what do I do to my body that's going to grieve him? What we allow into it both physically and informationally affects the Spirit of God. How we respond to the Spirit that lives inside of us affects the Spirit of God. Now, let's just think about it this way. Letter A, the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us to grow. That's why we have it. Yes, it's our seal. But because we've become the temple of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost is just not in us to say, okay, that's all he is. It's just a seal. No. He's the servant of God that leads us into all truth. Look at your notes in John 16. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear that is of God, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit of God guides you through the scriptures into the will of God. He shows you. Here is the path of the just, and the path of the just shines brighter and brighter as you stay on it. Now, that's what he's supposed to help us do. So what? So that we can grow. So that by faith, when he shows us that path, we take the step, and we keep walking with him, and we he and he's with us. He's the paracletos. He goes with us, and he comforts us along the way. And so that's spiritual growth. What? Living by faith. By taking God at his word and saying, God, if this is the way you want me to live, if this is the direction you want me to go... I trust you. It may not be easy, but I'm trusting you and I'm allowing your spirit to lead me. That means if the spirit says go and I say no, then that's quenching the spirit. If the spirit says yes and I say no, that's grieving him. That's like a mother trying to get her children to do something and when they don't do it, she's grieved. Why? Because her children are, are not in obedience. She's She's... She's, she's burdened for them. The Holy Spirit's given us to grow. So, let her be. The Holy Spirit can be grieved in word, thought, or deed. If the Holy Spirit says, I want you to keep your mouth closed on this subject around these people because it could lead to bad things. And then I say, no, I'm going to speak my mind. I'm going to go ahead and do it. What's wrong with that picture? Well, it's hurting the Holy Spirit. Um, I can do that in my mind. I can do it in a deed. I can do it in a word. And by the way, I heard a preacher one time say, the Holy Spirit is sweet, but he sure is sensitive. He sure is sensitive. It doesn't take much to hurt him because he's not a tyrant, is he? He's not a tyrant. He doesn't say, bless God, you're doing this. That's not the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit leads. And we're supposed to follow. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And he's part. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, one of the bullet points that Paul gives to this church, he says, quench not the Spirit. Now, quenching is not grieving, but they sure are related. 
It's saying yes or no to the Spirit when He's saying no or yes. And saying, no, I want to do the opposite. Now, I want to share something that's important to your spiritual growth. The devil is a master liar. So that this is so this is what he does so well in these negatives. Watch. Satan tells the believer that Christianity is nothing but do's and don'ts. We begin to think that the negatives that God tells us to avoid, that he tells us to stay away from, are actually positives for ourselves. And the positives of spiritual growth are just man's way of telling us what to do. Then Satan convinces believers that freedom from such things is actually spiritual growth and fulfillment when in actuality it brings spiritual emptiness. He tells the believer, well, that's just those old preachers just telling you you can't do what you want to do. And so the movement of the day is, well, I have individual soul liberty. I'm under grace. God's forgiven me. If I do this, I'm not going to hell. He still loves me, and I'm not doing it maliciously. I'm, I'm just doing this with my family or with my spouse, or I'm just doing this with these friends or whatever. And now all of a sudden, they are more spiritual than they've ever been. Why? Because they said yes to the negatives when God says to say no, and the devil wins. What a jerk. What an amazing power to take the truth of God's word turn it just a couple of degrees off and to get Christians out of the way of the sensitive spirit of God and saying, well, that's just their way or that's just the preacher's way or that's the church's way of keeping us all oppressed and making us all, you know, it's bondage. I've heard people for three decades say of churches like ours, I just feel free once I leave a church like this. And I'm like, were you, did anybody have you in shackles? So all we did was preach the Bible, right? And the next thing you know, they're enlightened with their life, okay? Um, if any of those things remain in our hearts, we need to confess and forsake them. If, if there's any hint of any of that, we just got to take it to the Lord and say, God, I want to ask you to forgive me concerning this area because I don't want to live like I used to live. I don't want to live like the world I want my mind to be renewed. But go up and look at verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness. And notice this, true holiness. It's almost like the Holy Spirit knows the devil's a liar. <laughs> and he wants us to know about it. If any of these things remain, we've got to take them to Christ. Then we take our bodies and present them to God as living sacrifices so that we can grow up. Does that make sense? Anybody have any questions about those? It seems so elementary, doesn't it? doesn't it? And people have said, you've heard them say, I just want to, I want to study the deeper things of God. And the reason they want to study the deeper things is because they have not yet grasped the shallow things. These little things that lay right in front of us that help us understand, wow, it's, it's God's life to live anyway. It's not ours. All right. Let's have a word of prayer. God, we sure love you. We thank you. We praise you for who you are. You're a great God. And we are so grateful for your work in our lives. Lord, please don't stop working. Please teach us more. And, and God, I pray as Christians, we would surrender more, even today, that we would surrender more. There, there, there is so much room for growth in our lives, and I pray that we would lean into that. God, I pray that you bless the word of God in our hearts richly.
I pray, God, that you would shower us with your blessings today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.